welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. Belial and the Covenant, as read by the author, Jason Drew. I'm about to tell you about a fellow named Belial. Well, he's not a fellow as much as he is a repeating series of worthless sons, but we'll get to that. Then I will tell you what Belial teaches us about the covenant. Now, the word Belial is derived from the Hebrew word Belial, which has two parts, Bel, which means without, and Yal, which means prophet. So Belial means worthlessness. But in the Bible, it is often used as a proper noun. So we read of the sons of Belial in Judges 19.22 and 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12. We read about the daughter of Belial in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 16. And we read about the children of Belial in Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 13, and Judges chapter 20, verse 13. However, a search for the word Belial in a newer translation will probably come up empty since they usually translate the word as worthless rabble or worthless or something like that. A son of Belial is a wicked person. The 1599 Geneva Bible renders Psalm chapter 18 verse 4 like this. The sorrows of death compassed me, and the floods of wickedness, wickedness there is the word Belial, made me afraid. Okay, listen to that again. The sorrows of death compassed me, and the floods of wickedness made me afraid. Well, notice that the floods of Belial parallel the sorrows of death. Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 13, is the first time the word Belial is used, and it describes how the sons of Belial committed apostasy. The next time Belial is used is in Judges chapters 19 and 20, when the sons of Belial commit brutal rape against a Levite's concubine. So to attack the Levite was to attack God. And in this macabre story, what occurs in Gibeah, an apostate city that qualified for the ban stipulated in Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 12 through 15. Notice again that connection. Deuteronomy 13 was the first time the word Belial was used. The sons of Eli, in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12, were sons of Belial, who knew not the Lord. The man of Belial is a bloody man, we're told in 2 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, who has no part in the inheritance of David, we read in 2 Samuel chapter 20, verse 1. Sons of Belial are like thorns thrust away, 2 Samuel 23, 6, vain men, 2 Chronicles 13, 7, who are likened to the unrighteous, unbelievers, darkness, infidels, and idols in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 14 through 16. In sum, a son of Belial isn't just a saddle goose, but a fiendish one at that. Oh, and there is one more thing. Sons of Belial, the cursed scoundrels that they are, belong to the covenant. They are card-carrying covenant members circumcised in everything. So there are Canaanites who reject Yahweh, and there are sons of Belial. Both shake their fist at God, but only one of them grow up within God's covenant. 
That's why they are cursed. Because for those who obey the covenant, there are blessings, as we read about in Deuteronomy 28, verses 1 through 14. And for those sons of worthlessness who despise the wisdom of God, there are cursings, as we read about in Deuteronomy 28, verses 15 through 68. So what does Belial teach about the covenant? Well, it's nearly impossible for American evangelicals to comprehend that the covenant would come to bear on sons of Belial in this manner, or that sons of Belial would be in the covenant at all. This is because evangelicalism conceives of Christianity as a series of battles of the soul fought within. In most evangelical theology, the best the covenant can do is encourage people to a certain kind of behavior. And if it encourages people too much, well, then that's legalism. The trouble is that Paul tells the New Covenant Church at Corinth that they are dealing with Belial in their midst. That is, in their covenant midst. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15. And so sons of Belial are not only an old covenant category. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 8 and Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 31, describe the fearful judgment awaiting those covenant members who sin deliberately. Numbers chapter 15, verses 30 and 31, describe sinning with a high hand, when it says, But the person who does anything with a high hand, whether he is native or a sojourner, reviles the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from among his people, because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment. That person shall be utterly cut off, his iniquity shall be on him. Now notice that this is a native, and also notice that they are cut off. Both of those imply that this person sinning with a high hand is part of the covenant. And so sinning with a high hand, according to Numbers 15, has three parts. First, reviling the, the Lord. The Hebrew word there means blaspheming. Second, despising the word of the Lord. The Hebrew word there means showing contempt. And then third, breaking God's commandment. And the context indicates that the person sins presumptuously. So in sum, it is an evil heart of unbelief that results in deserting the living God, as we see spoken of in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12. In Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 through 6, and Hebrews 10, 26 through 31, are teaching that first, human beings, covenant members even, can develop a hard heart like the scribes, such that they can no longer repent. And second, those who intentionally forsake Christ, after sharing in the privileges of the covenant community, are the most difficult people to restore to the faith. In John Bunyan's The Pilgrim's Progress, the man in the iron cage can't get out, confessing, I have so hardened my heart that I cannot repent. We are the people of the new covenant, the new Israel, and there are still sons of Belial among us. This is much the point of the parable of the weeds in Matthew chapter 13. So what does this teach us about the new covenant? Well, Paul tells us, there is a certain efficacy to baptism such that they are united to Christ. This is Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Jesus talks about a vine that has two types of branches, one that bears fruit and one that does not. This is John chapter 15, verse 2. 
If anyone does not bear fruit, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned, according to John 15, verse 6. This parallels the fearful expectations of judgment in a fury of fire that we read about in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 27. So, to be united to Christ is to become part of the vine and receive the objective meaning of the covenant. The nature of the covenant doesn't change when the sons of Belial fail to produce fruit. The covenant is just as efficacious to the sons of Belial as it is to the faithful. The cursing of the covenant goes to the sons of Belial, like we read in Hebrews 10, verse 29. And the blessings of the covenant go to those who receive the covenant gift with faith. So the modern era centralized human subjectivity. A person's relationship with God became inner rather than outer, subjective rather than objective. The mind became a sacred space, and Sunday worship no longer was. The quiet time became a consecrated activity, but the sacraments no longer were. Certainly, the evangelical emphasis on a personal relationship with God is one of the fruits of the modern era. But devaluing the objectivity of the covenant is the thorns. This is why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 15, according to the KJV, In what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? The answer is that once the attendant blessing and cursing of the covenant are applied, Christ breaks fellowship with Belial. He cuts off the vine. So Paul reasons in the next part of 2 Corinthians 6 that we must live like the temple of God. Here's 2 Corinthians 6, verses 16 through 18. I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. And so in conclusion, God doesn't leave you to wonder whether or not you belong to him. He comes to his people each week as the word and sacrament are given. He protects you from the ebb and flow of your subjective feelings and gives you the promise that he will walk among you and be your father. When you sin, confess it to the Lord and repent. When you are corrected, receive it with humility. Walk in righteous paths and trust yourself to your heavenly father who is faithful. Thanks for listening. If you want to find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com.